0: Good morning. Have you had that before? Middle of a traffic jam. It's like, you know what? I'm gone. I'm just leaving. I'm going to call an Uber helicopter and we should. I'm just saying we should invent it. So, hey, about a month ago, we resumed. uh, Well, we we started a summer schedule, which meant 10 o'clock service and 9 o'clock classes here. And That day, the very day um, that we we did that, there was a conversation that took place in our car. Lincoln, our seven-year-old, gets in the car. He goes, Dad, church is so much better now. I was like, okay, I, I can tell what's coming because where has Lincoln been prior to that day? At least one service, he's had to sit right here, right, in the seats, and, and I, so I just said easy, okay? Because easily my most vulnerable hour of the week is right after I get done preaching. And so just, just easy. And, and true, our, our 10-year-old, she, she means so well. She really does. He, I mean, there's so much love in the heart. And she, she tried to help her brother explain. She's like, no, 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 dad. He, what he's saying is we get to do everything we get to do in church, but with fun, It's like, okay, I I can get where you're trying to go with that. And Lincoln always needs to clarify. So here's what Lincoln said. No, that's not what I was saying. I was saying, usually we have to sit there and dad's just up there. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So start your your watches. You have 30 minutes of blah, blah, blah right now. (sighs) Do you ever feel misunderstood? Yeah, we, when we feel misunderstood, there's, there's something that rises up in us that we want to straighten somebody out, don't we? And, and that's why it is perfect that we start in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 this morning. Listen to what's going on inside Paul as he looks at what is potentially a misunderstanding of him. Verse 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I want you to think for a moment about the last time you were misunderstood or maybe the right now dynamics because you know you've been misunderstood. What what comes up inside? Paul says, okay, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. He goes on. He says, I, Paul, who am... He's going to use air quotes. Why do you use air quotes? Because that's a label you've been given by somebody, right? I, I, Paul, who am... Timid, when face to face with you, this is what they had said, but bold toward you went away, because this is what they had said. See, Paul's using air quotes here because he's being labeled by the church that he showed up and he got going, and now the people of the church are labeling him. I have, I have news for you, if you haven't figured it out already. If you are a follower of Christ, you, whether, whether you want it or not, have been labeled. And maybe I should rephrase that you've been mislabeled. I mean, you already know you've been mislabeled by the world, right? All you have to do is turn on the news. And if something about Christianity comes up, if something in today's secular media comes up about Christianity, you, you can pretty easily pick out, yeah, that's, that's not right. That's off. They don't get it. We, we've all dealt with that. But you also get labeled and mislabeled by other Christians, don't you? Absolutely, and this is what's happening to Paul here. As he's talking uh, to the the church at Corinth, he's saying, look, you call me timid, and you call me bold. You call me timid at some times, bold at other times, because you don't understand. You don't understand what's really going on here. But Paul understood something. That mislabeled is really just the symptom of, the fruit of, misunderstanding. And as long as, this is something I, I know I personally have encountered a lot, because anytime you uh, years ago in youth ministry, anytime you are leading something, you, you want to kind of run after and make sure everybody's okay and make sure everybody understands where you're coming from and all that. But misunderstanding when we need or when we need somebody to understand, we can undermine what God actually wants. We really can. We call it getting everybody on the same page, right? But if if we need everybody to understand. What God wants and what God is doing could get undermined because we'll spend all our energy going sideways trying to make sure everybody understands and everybody gets it and everybody's on the same page as me. And what happens is when we try to get everybody on the same page, we can all end up in different books. Same page, just different books. I like the way a man named James Clear said it. James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. But this is what he says. He says, the way someone else perceives what you do is a result of their own experiences, which you can't control, their own preferences, which you can't predict, and their own expectations, which you don't set. If your choices don't match their expectations, that's their concern, not yours. Now, some of you just heard that, and something just happened in here. I could feel it, because there's something that happens in me, too. When we realize somebody doesn't understand us, you know what we do? go, I'm going to go tell them, right? Could I urge you not to run down that road? Because we want to go set people straight. And what would happen there is we would totally miss what Paul said here in verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ. In other words, you could spend a lot, a lot, a lot of energy trying to get somebody on the same page as you when really... God is doing something else, and God is doing something bigger. Because honestly, it's too small of a thing to try to make sure you have 100% approval, 100% buy-in. And this is part of what Paul's rooting out in the church here. Is Some of them had a picture of him and a perception of him that he was going to try to, he could run around, he could try to run to every single person, try to straighten it out, no matter no matter, some people will just think what they're going to think, and they're going to have a picture of what it ought to look, what it ought to look like. And so, Paul, as we walk through chapter ten, you're going to see he's going to call them to something much bigger than what they think is going on, because they're right, they're right here, and he say, no, 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 there's so, there's something so much broader at work here. He continues. He says, "I beg you." That when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. See, there were some that just thought Paul should do this differently. And this is like Paul, he's saying, listen, please don't make me. You Have you ever seen footage of a lion, a lion out in the wilderness? You know, if if you watch, we, we hear lion, king of the jungle and ferocious. But if you watch a lion, they look incredibly, incredibly lazy at first, don't they? And you can watch their cubs, and they kind of bite at them, and they, they pick at them, and they, they steal food. And what happens is the other animals will see this, like hyenas, and hyenas come in. And hyenas start swatting, and they start picking, and they start stealing food. And, and the lion's hot, and, and the lion's tired because he's got a mane to clean. You know, he's really, really busy. And so, but there comes a point, doesn't there? Well, the lion suddenly gets up and takes everybody out, and then he gets help. And it's kind of frightening to watch, isn't it? So here's Paul, one of the lions of Christian history. And he says, guys, please don't make me. Please don't make me. I'm appealing to you with humility and gentleness. Please don't make me be bold when I come back there. He goes on. And the reason he's bringing this up becomes clear in verse 3. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. See, this is Paul saying, you know what? Let me show you the actual battle. See, you think the battle is to go after me and go after one another. This is Paul, right? And this is, isn't this what we do? Some of your most intense battles are probably with other Christians, aren't they? Because we get a misunderstanding about what's at stake and what's the direction. And Paul says, "Let me show you the actual battle. Let me take you back to a moment the night before Jesus was crucified. Remember, the soldiers have come for Jesus, and what does Peter do? Peter draws a sword, and he cuts off a guy's ear. This is three years of following Jesus, and Peter cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus is like, no. picks up the ear real casually, picks up the ear. Side note, I don't think he made that noise when he did his miracles, right? No, I don't don't think it was that. I might ask him one day, though. (laughs) Right? But Paul is saying, look, guys, this is not the focus. Jesus, that night to Peter, no, Peter, no. And Paul goes on. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Demolish strongholds. See, if every misunderstanding is the war that we're gonna take on, we may demolish some physical strongholds. More than that, we may demolish some physical, some relationships. But we'll never demolish the spiritual strongholds that Paul is getting at here. He continues: We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. To make it obedient to Christ. Now there will be more on that verse in just a bit here. But Paul's getting at something here. He said, do not mistake. And do not replace meekness with weakness. Do not for a moment think that what is really meekness is weakness. Because to do so would be thinking this is a war that the world fights. Because we have a picture of what bold and powerful, even when we picture Paul, we've got this picture of what it looks like. And it's probably a very worldly view. Uh, A few years ago, I shared this with you, but I want to share it with you again. Many of you know Mike Kettle. And I don't know if Mike's in here right now. He might be helping with junior church. But Mike, for years and years and years, he was a bouncer here up in Lakewood. And I, I love listening to his stories as a bouncer. And one of the things he talked about is there's some bouncer wisdom. Okay? And it goes like this. Through the eyes of a bouncer, you know that when there's a scuffle or a battle in uh, a bar, in a nightclub, in a church. I remember the flag football league we had here years ago, and it's the most hostile environment I have ever been in, okay? But Mike said this. He said anytime there's a disagreement just in one of these places, you've got two kinds of people that end up in the scuffle. Those that are really, really good at this. And the ones that are really, really good at this are not very good at this. That's not how they fight, by the way. This is just... (laughs) The ones who are really, really good at this, they don't have to do any of this. And this is what Paul is distinguishing. He's saying, look, you guys are trying to be really, really good and really, really bold at the wrong battle. So as Paul goes on through chapter 10, he points out, this just jumped out to me, two areas where we really go wrong. Because you know what sin has done to the human heart, to every single one of us? Sin has caused you and caused me to focus on the wrong battle and think that the battle is someplace that it's actually not. And Paul highlights two areas, a starting point and an ending point where we can go so Wrong and get so misguided, and we can use up not just our days, not just our weeks, not just our months, but our years and an entire lifetime fighting the battle that God never intended for us to battle. Here's what he says. Verse 7. He says, starting point, what we focus on. He says this. You are judging by appearances. You're looking at the surface. He said, if anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. In other words, we belong to Christ, and it doesn't look like they think it should look, but we belong to Christ as well. See, it's easy for us to do that, isn't it? Isn't it easy to think that the the convictions you've arrived at and the way you do things, it's the way? And Paul would say, no, it's, it's a way. It's not the way. There were, there were some opponents Paul had that they did ministry a different way than Paul did. And they began labeling him because he didn't do things the way they thought it should be done. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Our way is a way. It is not the way to do it. He moves on in verse 8. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for, listen to this, building you up. Rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. Do you wanna know why Paul could be full of the humility and the gentleness of Christ? Because of what he said right here. Paul's motive, as he looked at them, even as they began to pick at him, was I wanna build them up. Do you wanna know the only way you'll be able to remain humble and gentle in the middle of being misunderstood? is that if in your heart you want that person, whatever the opponent is, to be built up. This is what Paul wanted because Paul is looking at the church and he's saying there's more than this. There's more than the misunderstanding. Verse 9 and 10. I do not want want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. This is what he's getting at with these labels, timid and bold. They're saying, look, you're one way here and another way here. Verse 11, such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we're absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. In other words, Paul says, listen, if you're going to size me up, if you're going to look at appearances, then notice who we are when we're present, right? There's what people say and there's what people do. And Paul says, what I am in my letters, I will be in, not in words, In action, when we're present. Excuse me. There was a uh, there were a few moments from Jesus' life that, as you think about his life, it's amazing how misunderstood Jesus was. You remember what people said about him? Isn't this the carpenter's son? We know we know the carpenter. This is just his kid, right? And then. Jesus would later say, you know, in his own hometown, a prophet was, is without honor. You know, people didn't see anything of great magnitude about him. Jesus rises from the dead. Woman at the tomb, she looks and she thinks he's the gardener. She's not expecting anything from that. You know, because this is what we do. We, we, we imagine power. We imagine something really, really big and extraordinary. He's walking on the road to Emmaus next to two disciples and as they're walking down the road, they don't recognize them, and they don't recognize them, and they don't recognize them. It takes them an entire day. And honestly, as you read that story, the hand of God for him, for him to be recognized by them. But too often, we, we size everything up by, by appearance. We look at the surface instead of the substance. And so Paul says N- number one place that we go wrong when we, when we have misunderstandings is we're looking at the surface. In other words, look at the substance, not the style, not the surface of it. If you've ever um, been on a trip with Ryan Long, it just seems inevitable. Ryan Long, you've been, been, um, I don't know what the word is, attacked by him in the foyer here? Okay, no. (laughs) Lovingly attacked by him. Uh, If you've ever been on a trip with him, Ryan, more than anybody I know, has this penchant for finding famous people like without even trying. He just spots famous people. And on more than a few occasions, um, some very well-known names that you and I, we all know, you've seen them in movies, you've heard their music. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Those are the main two. Seeing one on TV, and I'm not going to throw names out because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus except Ryan right now, okay? But you'll see these people, and it's amazing. I remember seeing a a couple of these people, and I had this image in my mind of what they were like. And as soon as Ryan engaged with them, we found out very quickly, okay, that's not who they are on the screen. We just found a different side of them. Now, not every single one. Some more extreme than others. I also have to just... In their defense, they were also getting the Ryan Long experience for the very first time, and, and that is something, I'll tell you what, <laughs> right? But it, it's a reminder that we've got to look beyond the surface stuff. We've got to be able to start knowing, going into it. Even if you're encountering somebody for the first time, look for the substance over the surface. Well, Paul goes on. And he highlights another area we go wrong. And this time it's not the starting point when we misunderstand people, it's the ending point. In other words, what we measure. Verse 12 says this We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Isn't it true at any given time we're measuring? We're in some way measuring ourselves seeing if we measure up. Absolutely. He goes on. He says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. Now now Paul's recounting their history together. He's saying, look, I can boast because God used me to get this going. God used me to speak to you. When I look at how the church has grown. Paul says, God used me for that. I won't boast beyond that. He said, we're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. See, what Paul's pointing at and highlighting is getting a proper perspective on ourselves. But a lot of times we use a kind of a um, just an inaccurate measuring stick, don't we? Our kids in their room, they've got a... You know, you know those wall measuring sticks? Yeah, so one day Lincoln actually runs up and he's like, Dad, I am five feet tall. And I was like, that's impossible. I'm barely five feet tall, Lincoln. I said, well, what are you measuring with? He had this little like snow block. You know the snow block, the plastic snow block maker? He just decided in his mind that was a foot. He's like, You he just stacks it up. One, two, three, four, five. I actually think he got the six or seven. So in his mind, he's seven feet tall. And and Paul's Paul's saying this, when you measure by yourself, you're not using the right measuring stick. There's another place when it comes to measuring our lives that we get to, and he goes into it. Verse 15, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. Now, in church, we're notorious for this. You've seen, we've, how would I say this? We've been very careful who walks around and counts things around here. Because years ago, we would just report our own numbers. And it was so easy to just go, okay, let's see, we've got... We've got 30 youth in the room, but I know five are out of town, and they were here in spirit, so we'll count that, we'll add five, and then I know of like 10 that are in bed that would have been here, so I'll add 10 to that, and then they came actually in the room once, left, and then came back again, and so we ended up with like 80 kids in the room, right? This is what we do. We like to exaggerate. We like to exaggerate what's going on, because here's where this comes from. There is something inside you and inside me when there's a misunderstanding that we actually want our own distinction, don't we? In some way, we want to make our mark, and we want to distinguish ourselves. And so we start using faulty measuring sticks. Paul says, you know what? You know who this is really about? It's about his distinction, not mine. And his distinction is that he looked upon me, and he looked upon you, and he looked upon all of us, and he said, I'll use them. Even though they've fallen fallen short, even though they've not measured up, I will use them. Because it's about his distinction, not mine. Now, I remember, uh, gosh, 2013. We're going through a pastor search here at the church. And the thing that stood out to me, I had the, the opportunity to be on the pastor search committee. And it was amazing to watch these resumes come in. You have all these resumes come in, but there was a certain section of the United States, and I'm not even going to point at which one. But something caught my eye, and I went to Dave Baby, and I said, Dave, what is this on these resumes? And just you could flip resume after resume. And, and we'd get this, this resume from somebody that said, I have, um, I have 314 salvations in my, in my ministry time, and I've baptized 500 people. And then the next one, it was like, I've got 100 salvations, and I've got 240 baptisms. And I was going, people count? I, I mean, I like counting, all right? But, but what is that? What is it? And Dave just said, honestly, it's something that happens in, in a certain region that it just seems to be more prevalent. And as much as I pointed at that, I thought, that's what, that's what we do, right? Because we're trying to measure up. We're trying to measure ourselves. And anytime I need to measure up, you know what happens? I end up fighting a battle for me, not the battle God wants me involved in. And so this letter from Paul to the church in this chapter, 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying, guys, 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 we're focused on the wrong battle. Let's get back to it. We don't need to judge by appearances. We can look for substance. We don't need to measure for our own distinction. It's about his distinction. Now, what what drives all that? I mean, as you read that from Paul, who, again, could have just been like a lion, with the church at Corinth. What drives that? And the key I believe. Is in the verse that he ends with. That I honestly think he should have started with. But listen to what he says here. <clears throat> He's, he says. Let the one who boasts. Boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself. Who is approved. But the one whom the Lord commends. Did you catch that? It is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You want to know what can cause you to run and run after and run from more than anything, is to look for your own commendation. When Paul says, not the Lord commends. See, That's what gives you staying power when there's a misunderstanding. That's what gives you staying power when you don't feel like you measure up. That's what gives you staying power when the appearance just doesn't look right and it doesn't seem right. That's what gives you staying power is to know. And we point at it every single week. It took me years to finally realize it all really does center around the cross. If you wonder if the Lord commends you right there. At the cross, look at it. Please just look at it for a moment. If ever you wonder, am I commended by the Lord? If you've trusted in what Jesus Christ did for you right there at the cross, the Lord commends you. He commends you. So the question becomes do we believe that? Because if you believe that, if you believe that, you know what battle you fight? You fight from a place of power But if you're not sure And you want to try it on your own You know what you'll discover We fight for power You'll spend your entire life fighting for power How you appear in other people's eyes How you measure up But the truth for us Is we either fight for power Or from it From the power that he already gave us At the cross From the power that raised him from the dead And resulted in an empty tomb there's a, a man named Stacy King that I don't expect many people in here to know. But Stacy King played on the Chicago Bulls in the late 80s and early 90s. Okay, now Stacy King was a reserve player. And Stacy King, after he retired, he was, there was an interview done with him. And they said, "Stacy, what was the greatest moment of your career? Like the greatest glory you've ever had. And he could have pointed to March 20th, 1990, when he had his career high in points. He scored 24 points. Off the bench for the Chicago Bulls. But instead, Stacy King pointed to eight days later. And here's what he said. He said, March 28, 1990, greatest moment of my career. When Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, that sounds incredible. Here's what you got to know. Michael Jordan scored 69 of those 70 points that night. <laughs> Stacy King made one of two free throws. But see, that's what it is. When you fight from a place of power, you're not real worried about how you measure up, how you look, because you're fighting the right battle. You're fighting from a place of power. So do you believe that? Do you believe that you're fighting from a place of power? We hear story after story after story of people who go, you know what, I'm going to try it my way. And when you listen to their story, it's really a story of fighting for their own power. And every single time, you know what it is? It's a war of attrition that the world engages with you. It just wears you down and beats you up. So as I think about what Paul says here, I just want to marry this up to a verse from earlier. Because I believe this is where, when you think, okay, when I walk out of here, how do I... How do I even go about this? I mean, once I've trusted in what happened there, what happens next? And Paul said it in verse 5. We said we'd come back to it. Here's what he says. <clears throat> Excuse me. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, when Paul said that, we, you know, my entire life, I remember thinking this had to do with my own thought life. And we'll get there in a moment. But when Paul used that verse and you look at that context, he's actually saying as the church, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up. And we make it, we take every thought we make it captive and make it obedient to Christ. That is, that's what we do when we go out these doors. But here's the thing you got to know. If you haven't done that in here personally, we'll never do it out there. And so it starts here, every thought captive. Now, you could fill up a notebook doing what I'm about to ask you to do, but pick a day this week, and I want you to, as you can, just log your thoughts. And I know we have, we have millions of them, right? But as you notice, as you think of it, write down the thought, and I want you to pay attention. I want you to look at the thought and go, okay, what battle am I engaging in right now? What battle is it right now? You know, you're going to have a thought this week. It's going to come. You know, it's going to begin with this I'm not filling the blank. I'm not blank enough. And right then, there's going to be a choice to make. Is it, am I going to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ? Because you know what that would mean? It would mean that you come back to this. That's where he said, now you are. You are. Okay, you're going to have another thought this week. It says, I should. I really should. I just really should. I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda. What are you going to do? You know, when you think about that situation, what you should have done, could have done, would have done, every thought captive. And make it obedient to not your glory, but Christ, what he did at the cross. See, the question for you and for me, is not will we be in a war, as Paul calls it. There is no question you're going to end up in a war. And And I think the question for you and the question for me daily is which war is it? Because you can fight a war of attrition that you will ultimately lose. And you could spend your entire life doing that. Or we can engage in the much bigger thing that God has called us into. We can engage in the thing that has so much more at stake, the battle that he's called us into. And it begins by taking every thought captive to where we've placed our trust in what he did at the cross on our behalf. And so uh, as the worship team comes back up with their heads bowed, eyes closed, let me just begin by asking this. Which war? Which war? Has it been up to now? Will it be? Going forward, heavenly father, we we have no idea just how broad, how broad what you have in mind is for us. But Lord, we know, we know that as we look upon the church, as Paul looked upon the church, he saw something. And he saw something not with his eyes, but with your eyes that we could spend all kinds of energy getting sideways, worried about fighting one another. And yet instead, thank you for 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when Paul reminds us, we either fight from a place of power or for it. Lord, we want to be those that are effective and useful in your service. And we know that's only by your hand, you're doing your son, your spirit with your word. And so Lord, bring us back to that. As thoughts come to mind this week, Lord, cause us to pause, cause us to stop. And say, all right, I'm going to take that thought, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to make that captive to you and what you did on the cross on my behalf. Thank you, Lord, that you would look upon us and use us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.